So this is our third and final week in our series, Three Prayers. Week number one was Daniel's prayer. In fact, it was more his patterns of prayer than his actual prayer. And we saw that he had this special time where he would go and and he'd get along with God. And as I mentioned to you, you could set your clock by. You knew that it was going to happen. If you knew Daniel, you knew that he had this set time every day, no matter what was going on in his life, that he was going to go and spend that time with God. And he had a special place. It was a familiar place. It was a place like, hey, this is the place where I go. Here's the time that I go. And here's the, the place where I go, and that's sort of our connecting time, God and me and me and God, and I'm going to connect with God. It was private. It was shut away. It was personal. It was he alone with God, and that really, I think, is what was the infusion, the spiritual infusion of Daniel's life that helped him to be such a powerful leader as he was. Well, then week number two, last week, we looked at King Hezekiah's prayer, and if you missed last week, you can go online and listen to that or watch it or download that, and we saw that his prayer, when there was news, hey, we're coming this this uh, manic king, this uh, strong king, but uh, you know, a threatening king said, hey, we're coming. And if you don't surrender to us like right now and completely, we're going to run everybody through with a sword. We're going to destroy Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to kill every man, every woman, every child. And he heard that. And as soon as he heard it, uh, he took the letter. You remember this from last week? He took it to the house of God. He knelt before God, spread out the letter. Hey, God, read every, every bit of this letter. And here, we need your help. And it's this cry of desperation. But as we saw last week, it was simple. It was simple, and it was short, and it was sincere. And we talked about, you know, uh, sort of that element, that two-word element, that so that kind of prayer, so that God, your name would be glorified, your name, your fame, your will would be accomplished. Now, that was the last two weeks. Now, obviously, when I mentioned Jesus' prayer for our time together today, then you quickly realize that what we have done is we have saved the very best for last. So uh, what I want to do, is I want us to dive right into this stunning prayer. We're going to do that in just a moment, but I must warn you in advance. You need a warning, and the warning is this. This, too, is a short prayer, like Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, It's short. It's not long. It's not complicated. Only 10 brief words, but this is not a simple prayer. In fact, if you pray this prayer, this prayer that Jesus prayed, and you genuinely mean it, It will most likely be the most challenging prayer that you have ever prayed in your life. This is not an easy prayer. It is not for the faint of heart. Therefore, I warn you, consider yourself warned. I have warned you in advance. This is not an easy prayer. But on the other side of that equation is this reality. If you pray this prayer, this prayer that Jesus prayed, and again, we absolutely save the best for last. If you pray this prayer, Outside of the prayer of salvation, when you prayed and invited Christ to become the Savior and the leader of your life, this prayer, outside of that prayer, is about to become the most liberating prayer that you will pray in your life. It is the most challenging, or at least one of the most challenging prayers you will ever pray in your life, but it is not, it, it is not an easy prayer, but it is a liberating prayer. It will, in fact, change your life. Let me give you the context really quickly. Jesus is in the midst of the most dreadful and agonizing day of his life. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed as members of the Roman army drove spikes into his hands and feet. It was these same thoughts that Jesus is about to ask God to help him with. It was these same thoughts 
who were, by the way, I mean, technically, if you look at it, they were simply professional executioners. It was the, really the only place that the Roman leadership could find for these guys. They were cruel. They were vicious. They were cold-hearted. They were bloodthirsty. They had, these same ones, had beaten Jesus so savagely that had you not known for a fact that it was Jesus, and you looked at Jesus prior to his beating and after his beating, you would not even have recognized him as Jesus. They beat him that badly, and now they're going to nail him to a cross. They're in the middle of that, driving spikes into his hands and his feet. They are vicious men. I've mentioned that, but they love their jobs. They love being ruthless. They love being these murderers. They love being these executioners. They love doing that, and they were very capable at it, and it's a nightmare. Now, Jesus was not, you know this by now because I mentioned this to you in the past. Jesus was not the first person to ever be crucified, nor would he be the last. It was an act of capital punishment that would be uh, reserved for like the most vilest of offenders. And we know that Jesus was innocent in every way, never committed sin, never did anything wrong. And uh, so Jesus wasn't the first to be crucified, nor the last. And many times Rome had this idea, you get crossways with Rome, here's what happened. We'll put you on a cross. Many times, not often, but many times that body would be left on the cross for a period of time so that people would see it and they would know, hey, you cross Rome and this is where you're headed. So this is where Jesus was. It's a nightmare. I think other people probably, although it would be an effort in futility, although it would be futile uh, retaliation, I think there were probably people when it was going on that would begin to curse back. They knew it wasn't going to do any good. They were still going to be crucified. But I, I think most people would, uh, you know, be cursing back or fighting back. Again, it would be futility. It wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. But they would do that, maybe spit upon these executioners. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. In fact, he does something remarkable. He actually prays. And let me just say this. You've seen this prayer. Most all of you have. But let me just say this. If you had never seen this prayer before this morning, before what you're going to see on the screen in just a moment, if you had never seen this prayer before and I had shared with you the context, it would blow your mind to think that Jesus would pray this prayer. But he does. And I want you to read it with me. Everybody, let's all read it. You ready? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Read those three words again, right top line. Father, forgive them. And guys, keep that up for just a moment. I want you to look at that. I'm not going to read it. I want you to just look at it for a moment. And I want you to just let it soak in. Think about what he's saying. Think about what Jesus is praying. This is not an easy prayer. And if you say, you know what? Uh, there are some circumstances going on in my life that I need to pray this prayer. It will be challenging for you. It will not be easy. That's why I warned you ahead of time. But it will be liberating, and it will bring you a freedom that maybe you've not known in your life for quite some time. So here's what I want to do, practically speaking. I want to take the next few minutes to talk about Three types or ways that you and I are offended or that we're on the receiving end of 
wrongdoing. How many of you know you're going to be done wrong? How many of you already know that? It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. There's going to be things that are going to happen to you. And if we're not careful, uh, we don't evaluate them in the context of how they need to be evaluated. We just sort of treat every offense, every wrongdoing is basically the same. But they are not the same. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you, and it won't take me long, uh, three categories of offenses or wrongdoing that you and I are on the receiving end. Just simply put, category number one, if you're thinking about it, or taking notes. And let me just say about the category one, offenses or wrongdoings. This is the lowest level of being wrong. And let me just tell you how you know you're going to experience this, how you know you're going to be wrong at sort of a category one level. This is how you know it's going to happen to you. If you're breathing, it's going to happen to you. If you're breathing, you're going to experience some category one offenses and wrongdoings. You have been wronged. Every one of you have been wronged at this level, and you have wronged other people at this level. Just so that you and I understand for clarity purposes, it is, uh, it is in those moments, a category one kind of offense. It's in those moments when you're just saying, hey, that didn't really go the way that I wanted it to. I wanted it to go this way, but it didn't go this way because of this person or those people. You know, it went that way, and, and you feel offended. You've been done wrong, or it's when things have been said in a way that you would not have said them. It's when you're actually being a little bit thin-skinned. How many of you know you do that sometime? Nod at me. All right, if you're not going to nod with the person next to you, point. So just, no, don't do that. But uh, you're being a little bit thin-skinned or you're being easily provoked. And this has happened to you. And how you and I respond to a category one, let me just say this, how you and I respond to a category one infraction has a lot to say about our heart. It just does. Man, I look back on some times I've handled some category one. It's like putting it on a clinic. I handle, I'm like, you know what? That's no problem. That I didn't like it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I feel bad about it. It's not the way I would have done it. It's not the way I would have said it. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It hurt. Had a ding about it. But you know what? I handled it appropriately, sort of put it on a clinic. It's not, hey, it's a little thing. It's a speed bump. It's a minor thing. It's just little, and don't get offended. No big deal. Let it go. Don't even pay. Don't even carry it around for another uh, 15 minutes. But I'm telling you, looking back, I've handled some Category 1 wrongdoings and offensive in a terrible, terrible way that I'm ashamed to even tell you about. And I'll tell you about one if you promise me that once I get through telling you, you're not going to respect me any less, all right? So if I tell you, will you promise you're not going to respect me any less once I tell you, wave at me like this, all right? So I'll tell you, and it's not easy. And this happened over 20 years ago when I was out playing golf one day, and I'm riding along in the golf cart. And if you've ever played golf with me, you're just shocked to know I've been playing golf for 20 years because you're like, you're not a guy that's been playing golf. You started two weeks ago. But, I, you know, I didn't say I started well or playing well, but I'm just saying I was playing golf 20 years ago, riding along in a golf cart, when out of nowhere a golf ball bounces off of my kneecap. I'm driving, all right, you got this picture, I'm driving, I sort of have my knee leaning out a little bit, so I've learned since, you know, I'm not to do that so much, and I mean, out of nowhere, a golf ball bounces directly off of my kneecap, and it's just like that quick, there is a knot on my kneecap about the size of the golf ball. I look, are you still going to respect me if I tell you? 
I look left, I look right. I'm like, what just happened? I'm shocked, I'm stunned. I mean, where did that, ah, that's hurting. And I'm going through that, and then I see a guy, the fairways, my fairway went this way. A group of guys, their fairway went that way. And I see the guy standing in the tee box, and he's got his driver, and he's looking in my direction. <laughs> and it has not bounced. It is a direct fly into my kneecap. Did I mention to you that it's hurting? Did I mention to you it's not about the size of the golf ball? And so I got out of the cart and I elevate my voice. You may have other descriptions for it. I elevated my voice and I've got the golf ball now in my hand. I leaned over because it didn't bounce too far. You know, my kneecap cushioned it, I guess. And, it, and I pick it up and I'm like, elevated voice, do you know how to yell for? Do you know how to yell for? Do you know how to yell for? And the guy's just standing there. He's just looking. He's like, oh, man. And then I, I'm not proud of this. I, he was so far away because it was a driver. It wasn't like a putter. I did say it was a, a driver, right? So he's a long way away, and I couldn't reach that far, but I was so angry. I just reared back, and I threw the golf ball in his direction. Are you ashamed of me? And that was a staff member in my church. No, not really that way. It wasn't a staff member. I, I, I didn't know the guy, but I tell you, from that point forward, I prayed. My prayer life went up because I prayed, God, please don't let him come to my church Sunday. Please. It was before I moved to Lakeland. God, please don't let him come to my church. Please don't let him come to my church, please. Because I could just see this guy sitting out in the crowd. He comes like a guest to the church, and he's like, oh, I recognize him. The guy's speaking. I recognize him, and I could just see him taunting me in the back in my mind. Four, four, I'm saying it now, preacher, four, four. And I'm like, God, please, please. I generally don't pray for people not to come to the church, but I said, God, please don't let this guy come to the church. And I got through and I turned around and I'm already feeling bad instinctively and I feel conviction and I'm like, that is so stupid. You know, I know you were shocked. I know your knee's hurting. I know you don't like it. I know you should, but I'm just like that. Why did I do that? Why did I, why did I, I mean, yeah, and I think it was a condition of how my heart was. Not that I didn't love God or, you know, serving God or seriously devoted to God. It's just maybe something was needing to be tweaked in my heart. And then, I, you know, adding insult to injury, I turned around and my boys are just sitting in the golf cart, you know, there. And they're like looking and they're like, ah, what a bad example. But I've never done that since. I've never done it since. And I've not thrown a golf club in about 15 years. I haven't. I haven't. And I threw a golf club one time and landed in the water. And, and it's, I kid you not, I, it's only the grace of God. The club, I just bought the club. It's in the edge of a lake and it's standing up just like this. I was able to reach over and Brent actually did it, grabbed the golf club. And I made a promise to God, you know, because it was like the axe head that floated in the Bible. I'm trying to spiritualize it. All right? I, yeah, I shouldn't do that. That's so wrong. And uh, I'm like, God, you know, I've learned my lesson. So I've not Raised my voice on the golf course in over 20, 25 years. I'm not thrown a club in a long time. But I look back and say, well, why, why would you have done that in the first place? And again, I think it was something must have needed to be tweaked in my heart that I would become so angry, so frustrated so quickly. But it was a category one. It was, you know, the guy didn't mean to us. Not like he was aiming for me. It just happened, and I was so foolish in my response. Should have been a category one, but I just elevated it, blew it out of proportion. Hey, 4-4, four, four, you know how to yell four. You want your golf ball back? Here it comes, all right? So it's a, it's a bad deal. I feel bad about it. Do you still respect me? I hope you still respect me. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That helps me. 
when I was a Southeastern student a few years ago, a lot of years ago, I can remember taking a summer class and a professor that uh, I love to this day, have a high level of regard for. I still see him from time to time and uh, around town. He doesn't go to our church. He goes to another uh, church somewhere. And so I, uh, he, and I love this professor and he's a great teacher and summer class, small class. And one day we're in class and he always showed up early and, and he comes in slightly late. And when he walks into class, he's slightly late and he's visibly irritated and we're like you know we're not saying anything aloud but this is not like him number one to be to be late and it's not like him you know to be irritated the way that he's irritated it just seemed uncharacteristic for him so like wow I wonder what's going on and so he began to tell us what was going on which helped because we were all wondering and he said you're never gonna believe what happened to me today and you could tell he's working through it now a little bit and he could you know smile on the corner of his mouth he said you're never gonna believe what happened to me today he said uh, I was getting ready you know I was coming to class teach this class and so I went out to my car and I got in the car and turned it on and then I realized that I needed I needed something in the house that I'd forgotten so I just got out of my car opened the door ran inside he said when I ran into the to the house for just a couple of moments my neighbor's dog apparently came trotting across the lawn I'm not making this up jumped up in my car seat the driver's car seat I don't know how to say this in church I don't I mean let's just say the dog needed to go to the restroom Right in the seat, the driver's seat. How many of you, have you ever thought about killing a dog? <laughs> and uh, I wonder, he, uh, you know, may, he probably felt that way. He's like, you know what? I don't know whether they killed the dog or the owner of the dog, but somebody's got to pay for this. By the way, it reminds me of a sign. Have you seen this sign anywhere? It's in, in another state. Sign driving by one day, and the sign said, it said, veterinarian slash taxidermist. Veterinarian slash taxidermist. In a small print underneath, it said, either way, you get your dog back. <laughs> Not really. I just made that up. That, it didn't really. Uh, that's, that's so wrong, and some of you feel offended by that. That's a category one. I just did it so you would know. That's a category one. Just need to give you another example. All right. Category one. Don't blow a category one offense or wrongdoing out of proportion. The church leader, Paul, compels us not to be the type of person who becomes easily provoked and irritated. Check out what he says. 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about somebody that's just becomes filled up with the love of God. And then he describes that love and he says, when you have love like that, when your heart is in the right place and when you love the way you ought to be loved, that kind of love is not irritable and it keeps no records of being wrong. It keeps no records of being wrong. So when you're wrong, and you definitely will be, assign it to the right category. Again, let me say it one more time. Don't inflate it. Don't blow it out of proportion. Have so much of the love of God and the grace of God in you that your response is, you know what? That's just a little speed bump. No worries here. I'm going to overlook this. This is simply a category one offense, all right? Wave at me if you're with me on that. Category one, category one, let it go. It's not worth it. It doesn't even require any kind of emotional response to it. Category two, category two, this becomes a little more serious here. Category two is a wrongdoing that definitely has a legitimate bite or sting about it. It cannot be easily overlooked. It probably should not be overlooked. And in numerous cases, it probably should not be neglected. It probably is going to require it to be addressed in an appropriate way, of course. Now, 
comparison to category one. I hate to tell you this, but the truth is most of us at some point are going to get nailed by a category two kind of offense. And it can take many different forms, but I'll just mention one, just give you a quick example, and then we'll move on. Here's a, just one example of many that we could draw out. Here's an example. Maybe this has happened to you, um, and so you're going to be able to resonate with it more so than most people. But you're struggling. Let's just say that you're struggling in some area of your life, and there's a trusted relationship that you have, friend that you have, and you're like, you know what? I think I can trust this person, and so I've been struggling with this. I'm carrying it by myself, and of course, I'm praying to God about it, but I'm not. And I'd like to have a friend to sort of stand with me and support me and pray for me. You know, it's a struggle, and I think having somebody brought into my confidence, and you did that, and you disclosed the struggle to somebody that you believed was a confidential friend. And that person listened, and that person, you know, was just focused on everything that you were saying. They were maybe even empathetic. They not only heard you, but they uh, empathized with you. They maybe even prayed for you in that moment. Hey, I want to agree with you about your struggle. And maybe they even prayed with you. And they did all of those things. You got up, you walked away from that setting, whether it was a house, an office, a business, a table, wherever you were. And you walked away from that. And it was in 48 hours later that they were blabbing and betraying. Now, how many of you know that hurts? That hurts. That's more of a category two. So now you've got a, some choices you've got to make, you know, and um, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to retaliate. It, you know, your mindset could be, well, you know what? I, I shared with them my struggle and confidence, and I felt I could trust them. And, um, you know, they just started blabbering around to other people. Now it's gotten back to me. And, hey, I know some stuff about them. There are some things, private uh, areas of their life I know about. I think I'll retaliate. I think I'll just do the same. That's a, that's a bad idea. Or maybe you say, well, I'll just get revenge some way, somehow. Or, you know, if it's not, if it's not retaliation or it's not revenge, it's why, hey, I'm just going to reject them. You know, they're done. We're severed. This friendship's no more. I'm not going to call them. They try to call me, text me. This relationship is over. I'm not going to do, I'm, I'm not going to pursue this relationship or allow this relationship to continue whatsoever. Now, you could do all of those things, and I don't think any of those things would be a good response. You could actually, and I know this is crazy, all right? Some of you are going to hear what I'm going to say, and you're going to be like, what? You could actually follow the example of Jesus that you saw a moment ago. You could follow the example of Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking, all right? Some of you are thinking, do I look like Jesus? Pastor Jeff, do I look like Jesus? I'm not Jesus, so how in the world could you even suggest that I could do such a thing as that. No thanks. Don't want to do it. Uh, retaliation, revenge, rejection. That all sounds best for me. Uh, and again, I don't think that's a path that you want to pursue. I am confident, on the other hand, that God has some wisdom for us on this. And I'll just hit it quickly. But what do you do when it's not, you know, it's not a category three, and we're coming to that. It's above a category one. What do you do with an infraction such as that? And fortunately, God has some wisdom. There's some clarity for us in the Bible concerning that. And let me just show you three really quick things from Scripture. All right, look at this first one. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your fellow believer sins against you, they wrong you, there's an offense, go and tell him, what are these two words? Say them with me. Go and tell in private, in private, 
what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you have helped that person to be your brother or sister again. So you go to that person. That person has offended you. It's not, you know, it's not like speed bumps. It's like that doesn't even require an emotional response. Small change. That's a minor irritation. Hey, I'm bigger than that. I've got more of the love and grace of God in my life. Um, but no, this one, this, one, this one requires a response. And so Jesus would say, the scriptures would teach that we should go to that person. This is the classic uh, passage uh, in regards to that, by the way. You go to that person, and you go to that person in private. You can sit back and wait if you want to. You can say, and, and this happens, all right? You've probably done this at some point. Well, why do I need to go to them? They're the one that offended me. They're the one that hurt me. They're the one that did wrong. Why do I need to go to them? They need to come to me. Now, what's unique, and you can do this. I don't have time to get into it. The Bible seems to work both ways in regards to that. It said, hey, there's times you're going to be offended, and even though you're the one that has been offended, you go to them. And when you offend others, you go to So it can work. So you can't just say, biblically, I mean, if you go do it the Jesus kind of way, you can't just say, well, you know what? They offended me, and if they want to make things right, I'm just going to sit here and wait. It's not what the Scripture, the totality of the Scripture would teach. You go to them, you go to them, and you tell them, and you tell them in private, all right? So go to that person, go to them. Now, this deals, the next deals with the timing issue, all right? So look at these couple of verses right here. Um, Therefore, this is how urgent it ought to be to make things right with somebody that's offended you, or you've offended them. Either way, it works both ways. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Look at these two words here. First go, first go, first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. All right, do you want to you want a quick sort of synopsis of what is being said here? I'll just give it to you in a modern day sort of analogy. This is what the scripture is teaching in this regard. It says, even when you're in a worship service, in the middle of a worship service, here you are, and you know that you've offended somebody, you've done somebody wrong, or somebody's done you wrong, and you need to make things right. You go to that person. It's urgent, it's immediate. In fact, what the scriptures are teaching here, that like if you're in the middle of a church service, like even in the middle when the pastor Pastor is speaking, all of a sudden, you are prompted, you're prompted, you're prompted. Hey, you're remembering. Hey, I've got, things are not right. I need to make this right, and I need to do it now. I need to do it immediately. The scripture would teach, hey, it'd be fine for you to get up from wherever you're at and just go and make things right. Just go and reconcile that relationship. You could get up in the middle of church and do that. You could do that. In fact, I know what some of you are thinking now. I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm not going now. I'll sit here and hold it. Because if I get up and go now, people's got to think I'm out of, out of sorts with somebody. So I'll just wait. I'll wait. How long are you going to go? Not much longer. You can hold it. You can hold it. <laughs> but it's a sense of urgency. You go to them. You go to them in private. and you, I mean, you're right in the middle, and the Holy Spirit just sort of quickens you. You know you need to make things. Don't delay. Don't put it off next week, next month, next time I see them, if they call me. you know, No, no, no. Initiate. You be the initiator. You go, and you just make it as right as quickly as you can. All right, so here's another thing the Scripture teaches. And you go to this person, and you're like, all right, I did everything. I went to them. My heart was right. My attitude was right. My motives was right. I wanted to reconcile the relationship with the other person, the other party. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Then what does the Scripture say? Look at this next verse, all right? Romans 12, 18, do everything possible. Look at these three words, on your part, on your part, to live in peace with everybody. How many of you learned a long time ago you can't change somebody else? You can only, you're responsible for what you do, not what somebody else does. So you say, well, you know what? 
I did it just the way the Bible said I should. They offended me or I offended them, and I just wanted to make things right. And I, I didn't like taking and spread it to everybody. I wasn't going to retaliate, wasn't going to spread their business. I didn't tell everybody else what they did. You know, I didn't. I went to them. I went to them in private, and I did it promptly. And I did everything. My heart was right before God. I'd ask God ahead of time to just pour his love and his grace and his forgiveness. My attitude, I did the best that I could. And it was obvious, you know, when that, when that setting was over, that person did not want to reconcile. And listen, friends, listen, this is what the Bible says. You see it on the screen. When you've done your part, you've done it with the right heart, right attitude. You had the grace of God operative in you. And that person just says, don't care. Then listen, you're clear before God. You're clear before God. Go on with your life. You can't live in regret the rest of your life because the other person didn't want to make. And I know a lot of you just think, well, what kind of relationships are we talking about? Maybe, maybe people that you're working with. It may be friends. It may be extended family members. It may be like a sibling that you haven't talked to in a long, long time. You got offended. Maybe a parent or a child. You know, all kinds of relationships. So that's just something for you and I can consider. You did all that you needed to do, and they didn't want to reconcile. Again, you're clear with God. Move on with your life. All right. We're about out of time. Let me but let me give you category three. This one's heavy. Thankfully, not everybody. First two, you're going to experience. It's going to happen. Category one, if you're breathing, it's going to happen. For most all of us, category two is going to happen. Category three, thankfully, not everybody is going to experience a category three offense or wrongdoing. Yet, even as I say that, I know that some of you have experienced that. And unfortunately, you know what I also know? Some of you will. You haven't yet, but you will. And so maybe before you get immersed in the middle of it, maybe there's something that we could talk about for just a couple of minutes that would be helpful in case. And I hope it does, and I pray it doesn't. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. And uh, I, I don't want that to be, but should it happen, what do you do? I'll just tell you about this one. If you experience a Category 3 offense or wrongdoing, something happens at this level, you do not have to deliberate on which Category 3 will fall into. You won't have to think about it because it is so dreadful and it's so devastating and it's so sickening. Like King Hezekiah, as we looked at last week, when this kind of thing happens, your knees will buckle. Your knees will buckle. And then your knees, I pray, will hit the ground and you'll do like Hezekiah did and cry out to God out of desperation. I'll give you an example. I've never talked to the person. I don't know the details. I'm not casting judgment. I'm just my outside looking in experience. Never talked to anybody about it. I'll just tell you what I saw and what I had heard happen. So again, never talked to anybody about it. I got up, uh, as I do, early one morning. It was still dark. I was leaving to go to the gym. And as I pulled to the end of the neighborhood, I normally would turn right, head in the direction of the gym. But I wasn't allowed to go right. I could only turn left. And the reason why, and I was, as soon as I, and you know how you are first thing in the morning, you know, you're already like trying to get your wits about you. And I pulled, I, I lived near the, the, the uh, end of the neighborhood. And so by the time I backed up and pulled, I'm like, I'm taken back because the amount of crime scene tape and the amount of law enforcement uh, vehicles that are in place. I had no clue what was going on. I, for, I, I don't know if it was later that day or the next day. I don't know what happened. I'm not talking, again, to anybody about it. I don't know all the details. But uh, it seems clear that at some point early, early, early in the morning, a drunk driver had lost control of their vehicle, 
had gone through the front yard of this house, slammed into this house with such force that the lady inside the house was killed. What do you do with that? And it may not be that, it may be something else. But it's a category three. And again, I hope I never have to face a category three. I hope nobody in my family, hope nobody in my church family has to face a category three. But if it happens, or if it has already happened, where do you go from there? Well, if you hold on to your sanity, and you will by the grace of God. You know this uh, family I told you about last week, 15-year-old, they still don't know what happened. He goes to bed, he's healthy, he's healthy, he's active, and next morning his parents find him, and without any cause, they still don't know what happened, but he passes away, and that service was yesterday morning at 11 o'clock, and a few minutes prior to that service, I was talking to the mom, and uh, she looked at me, and she just said this, and uh, she said, the only way I'm even able to stand here today, and this is like eight minutes before the service for a 15-year-old son. Her husband was in another part of the building. I ran into her in a hallway. And she said, the only way, Pastor Jeff, I'm able to stand like right now is because of God. She's like, if I didn't have God in my life, I have no idea if I'd be able to even stay on my feet right now. And that just, doesn't that just tell us all the more we need God <laughs> every day? You need God, category one, category two, especially category three. And only by the grace of God, she said, am I able to stand here? But once you get your wits about you and your equilibrium sort of settles out again, then you've got some choices. There are some options. There are some things on the table, some plausible options on the table that you could reach for. There's hate you could reach for. You say, I know what I'll do. I'll just hate this person to my dying day. I'll hate them. I'll hate them, and over time, my hate will increase. Or, or I'm not going to reach just for hate. I'm, I'm going to pick up, when I reach out for some hate, I'm going to grab a little bitterness while I'm at it. Or maybe you reach for hostility, or maybe you reach for revenge-seeking, or maybe you reach for reprival, reprisal. But while I was working on this talk, it was like the Lord's speaking to me, and I hope he always does when I'm working on these thoughts I give here, but it was like, the way I understood it, it wasn't like that God used these words, but as I'm listening, it's like, that's a double jeopardy. If you do that, and what I mean by that, that's like a, the first round, the, the category three offense of wrongdoing, that devastates us. That's hurt, pain uh, at a level that is, uh, you know, almost unimaginable questions that come into play. So you've got, that's the first round, but that second round is the round that can destroy us. That's retaliation and revenge and bitterness and hate and all that that sinks in, and it becomes like a poison. It becomes like a poison. We can reach for that because it's an option. But instead, and this will not be easy, and I know even as I say it, it will not be easy. For those of you that have experienced this or you will experience it, it will not be easy. We can ask God to pour like an unbelievable measure of grace and forgiveness and power into our lives because you and I could never be able to forgive. We'd never be able to let without grace and God's power at work in our life. I close with this. A lot of you know my dad, still missing to this day, passed away a couple of years ago. Dad didn't really take care of himself. Maybe that's the motivation why I work hard to do so because dad, I never remember dad saying, hey son, I'm uh, I'm going uh, to the gym today. Dad never said that. 
And besides, you know, his habits, they wouldn't have let him carry into the gym with him. And uh, he never said, hey, we're going to start eating healthy around this house. We're going to eat clean. You kids get ready for it. That never happened. Now, on occasion, dad say, I'll give you a dollar if you'll eat a jalapeno pepper. <laughs> but that's not clean eating. That's just like torture. And so dad never really took care of himself. And in the course of his life, he was only 72 when he passed away. And he had had two or three heart attacks. And he survived them all. He prided himself on the fact he had say to me from time to time, Jeff, I have survived two widow makers. I'm like, wow, dad. He said, my doctor says I'm like a cat. I must have nine lives. But every time... He had one of these heart attacks. There were two or three that he had. The real question was not his survivability. Did he survive? Obviously, he did. But the question was, did he have, what was the level of heart damage? What kind of heart damage did he have? You know where I'm going with this. Maybe Jesus' prayer is a prayer that all of us should walk closely to. When in the most dreadful, difficult, unbelievable day of his life. He looked at his executioners and then he looked toward heaven and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All right, here we go. You ready for this? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Well, it's been so long. No. Mm -mm. And they did. No. I get it. I get it. But who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to be reconciled with? Don't put it off another day. Don't put it off another day. Well, I'll get around to it. No. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe this morning you'd ask, God, is there any heart damage? See, that's dad. Dad was like, two widow makers, son, I survived. But he is always concerned. Hey, they're checking to see what kind of damage it did to my heart. And maybe you've just held on to some stuff, some toxins that have just damaged your heart over time. Some bitterness, some resentfulness, thoughts of retaliation and revenge. You just say, no. Instead of a damaged heart, I want to get my heart up under a place where God can pour his love and his grace and has strengthened me. Because if he doesn't do it, I certainly can't do this on my own. Stand with me, will you? Everybody, let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes, everybody? And if that's you, would you just say, hey, man, there's somebody I need to forgive. There's somebody I need to be reconciled with. Nobody's looking around. Every eye is tightly shut, but you just lift your hand up real high. Say, oh me, that's me. There's somebody I need to forgive. There's somebody I need to be reconciled with, and I know I need to do it. I know, I know, I know I need to do it. Just lift up your hand really, really high. Thank you so much for your honesty. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've got a little bit of heart damage. I know I do. I feel it. I sense it. And I just need to pray Jesus' prayer, and I need to forgive people, and I need to move on. I need to allow God to heal my heart. I need to let it go. I need the love and the grace and the forgiveness of strength of God to heal my heart. If that's you, lift up your hand real quick, and let me pray for you. And so, God, we just pray that in your son's name, in Jesus' name, that you would heal every heart. 
And even though, God, we've got damage, maybe it's continuation of just month after month, year after year, carrying it around. God, we don't want to carry it around another day, another week. We want to begin to make things right now. We want to do, Lord, what you want us to do and to forgive. And we can't do that apart from you. So would you pour your love and your grace into our heart so we've got the capacity to do what's going to be hard to do, but it's going to be the, one of the most liberating things we've ever done? And, Lord, all this we ask in your name. And everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. I'm so glad you came today.